0: using the hymnals, which if you come to this service for a while, you might need to look. It's the one next to the Bible. <laughs> Please turn with me to number 734 in the hymnal, where you will find the familiar words of the 23rd Psalm. We are going to sing response to at the beginning, middle, and end of the psalm, which we will be reading responsibly. I will read the plain print and I invite you to read the bold with me. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherd me, O God, be beyond my fears, from death into life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shepherd me, O oh God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into
1: life. Someone commented that has kind of a Catholic feel, but that isn't a bad thing, is it? Thank you, David and Peggy, for the accommodation on that. So I, uh, I grew up every year. Every year we would go to the Coos County fair and frequently we would go to the Oregon State fair and while we were there of course you know we would go to the livestock uh, buildings to go see the cows and the goats and the pigs and the horses and the sheep. It's just what you do, of course, when you grow up going to county fair, state fair, right? Uh, I also had friends uh, in high school, not me myself, but friends who were in 4-H, and part of 4-H meant that they would every now and then raise a sheep uh, and then uh, market the sheep, as we uh, would say. I had friends who were in FFA, which of course stands for See, some people know, Future Farmers of America uh, uh, who would do some similar kind of things uh, around agriculture and all that. In Reading, we had a family in the church that uh, kept raised uh, sheep, uh, had lambing around this time of year, uh, every year, which was always kind of a fun thing, usually twins, uh, quite a good thing. Uh, A long time ago, when I was youth pastor in Oakdale, California, uh, we had a member of the church who in the early 20th century, had been uh, a shepherd. He had lived in a little teeny tiny trailer miles from every place, and he had herded sheep and kept sheep and made sure that sheep were okay all up and down these hills out in very, very rural California. Um, Listen, the word pastor means shepherd. Right? Would it be arrogant for me to say, or at least to put forward the possibility that I know more about shepherds than anybody in the room? Is that possible? But here's the deal. I know basically nothing about shepherds. It's an old thing. It's a faraway thing. It's a rural thing, and I'm only semi-rural in my upbringing. In the 21st century, it is a profession. It is a vocation. It is an occupation that we are not particularly Familiar with, and yet, we love this psalm, don't we? We love this psalm. We have internalized this psalm. It is one of those things where as long as you have been in church, that is probably how long you've been hearing this psalm. You may well have memorized good portions of it, or at least it feels very familiar. We don't know shepherds. But we love this song. And I think that's because we instinctively take the meaning from it. We instinctively understand that being a shepherd means being a guide, means caring for those who are helpless, means protecting them, means meeting the needs of those who are part of that care. So that we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, my needs are met. I don't want for anything, at least nothing that matters. Or we could say that with God in my life, with God guiding my life, I have enough. That is a powerful claim. To say that... I have enough. I believe that, that so much of the dysfunction and suffering in this world is, uh, comes from, is connected to a misdirected or confused sense of what provides enough. What do you think a true spiritual? nurturing sense of enough would look like in your life. That is where God is seeking to lead you, to guide you. Hmm? We understand without knowing anything about shepherds that Someone who guides you to lie down is seeking to give you rest, who is acknowledging and recognizing that pastures mean nourishment. We understand that. I am told that sheep cannot drink from running water. They will choke on it. Thus the need for still waters from which to drink. What are the green pastures in your life, the places from which you draw nourishment? What are, where are the still waters where uh, you can take a moment and lie down and be at peace away from the onrush, the choking onrush of all that goes on in life, its pressures, its postures? What are the things in your life that restore it? That is where God is seeking to lead you. It says so explicitly. God leads me in right paths. The place where I need to go. uh, The place that is best for me. The place that is correct and direct. To say God's name is to invoke God's integrity, right? All those passages that talk about God's name are really talking about God's integrity. This is what is essential to God. This is part of God's identity to guide us in the way that is most life-giving, in the right way. And it's not just in greenness And in stillness, though it is certainly that, it is also in darkness, right? Though I walk through the darkest valley. I know you're thinking, you're thinking, no, 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 no. it's the valley of the shadow of death. Well, not literally, not literally. The Hebrew is the darkest valley. I think, given what life is like and given the place of death in our lives and in our fears, to interpret the valley of the shadow of death of death is not inappropriate, it's not the actual language, but it's not inappropriate. Life will contain darkness and difficulty and even evil will be present in our life. It won't be all green and still. So perhaps a sense of enough also involves a freedom from fear. It is a human thing that our skewed sense of enough, that enough comes from things, that enough comes from winds, that enough comes from accolades or whatever else defines love for us, can also leave us fearful of that which is dark, that which is empty, that which seems pointless, that which brings loneliness. What would that place absent fear look like? What would it look like in your life? Where do you experience those moments where you are unafraid of whatever might be frightening in your life? That is where God is seeking to lead you. Some of our fears are about loneliness, but the psalm indicates that there is a presence in our lives. That God presents that presence and that it is with us to still fears, to quiet agitation, to bring an abiding and healthy sense of enough. And it is represented in a rod and a staff. By the way, notice that the psalm just very subtly shifts to you. All of a sudden we're talking to God, not about God, but to God. Uh, There comes out of that loss of fear, perhaps, a sense of intimacy, where it's not just theoretical, it's not just here is my image for God, a good image for God, a meaningful image of God, but here is also my relationship to God and my thankfulness to God and my naming of what God gives me as valuable and essential. You are with me. In the rod and the staff. Now we understand the staff. I think we get that. You know, we uh, we understand that crook, that shepherd's crook. Uh, uh, we talked about. I mentioned briefly Catholic Church. If you look at the bishops of the Catholic Church, they carry with them a crook. Right. The idea is that it's a, it's meant to correct a sh- a sheep that is on the wrong path. You're able to bring that crook out and and put the. Uh, uh, the crooked part of it, around the sheep's neck or leg or whatever and draw them back from the edge or from the wrong path, right? To correct a misdirected sheep. A man I knew who did keep sheep and bred sheep, one of the things he said is, we have bred all the intelligence out of these animals. They will instinctively have no instincts and so are more prone to doing things that are unhealthy and just kind of stupid. Uh, I will resist, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it can feel personal then to be the flock, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but we also have to acknowledge that sometimes, sometimes we, uh, we need that correction, that crook that brings us back uh, into the right path. The the, the, the rod is really a club that a shepherd would carry, and it is not correction, it is protection. It is the rod, the club, that could be wielded against the wolf, against the, we know around here, coyote, right? Or whatever it is, whatever predator uh, might come to actively threaten the flock. Just parenthetically, one has to say, I I went to a workshop once where a speaker talked about the image of the rod in the Bible, because the other one we know is what? Uh, Spare the rod. Spoil the child. And I've heard more than one Christian say, you just have to beat your children every now and then. But what if the rod is about protecting them, rather than punishing them? And what would it mean to be mindful of our role to protect our children from whatever, including their own impulses, rather than uh, our need to control them, to do so through physical harm, parenthetically. Well, well, rod and staff, what do they bring? They bring comfort, right? Knowing that if we are going in the wrong direction, God provides a means by which we can be corrected, knowing that if there is something in life that either actually or uh, uh, perceptually threatens us, that it is God's role in our life to give us protection. There is comfort in that. So much of our fear, or at least so much of my fear, derives from the desire to wield my own staff and my own club in my own life. Mm -hmm. I can correct myself. I can protect myself. I can, uh, the five-year-old in me says, do it myself. And yet, look where I end up. Maybe, possibly, look where you end up, too. What would it look like to leave off our own defense mechanisms, our own obsession with guiding ourselves, our fears, and claim God's enough? What would that look like? Because that is where God is seeking to lead you. Four verses of that, two more verses, but the metaphor shifts, did you notice that? It's no longer about a journey, it's no longer about being guided, it's about a destination, it's about a host who welcomes us to a table. This is not a table off of which a bunch of sheep eat. This is a different way of viewing, uh, but it is consistent with our understanding of life, which is a journey, but which has a destination. A place where we are known, where we are included, where we are provided for, where we are welcomed at journey's end. That table, as Christians, it shouldn't be surprised that it takes on some overtime of what we do. A table uh, that is set, that is prepared for us, where we have a place, but it is in the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you, but that feels a little jarring. You know, there's been all this comfort and protection and correction and guidance and green pastures and still waters, and all of a sudden now, uh, this thing that I get, this place that's prepared for me, is in the presence of my enemy. I'm not sure I want to sit down and eat in the presence of my enemy. They will make fun of whatever drools down my chin. So how do we understand that? For a long time, uh, I would say that, well, what it really means is God has welcomed all of us as as an ancient host would, Uh, God would bring in, a host would bring in people from different backgrounds who might not get along, but in the the, uh, uh, hospitality of the host, they could not be enemies. They had to get along at that table. I like that image. Don't you like that image? I don't think that's what the psalm's about. I want it to be about that, but I don't think it is. I think it's a little closer, because this happens in the Psalms all the time, I think it's just a little closer to the Blessed One of God being able to sit down and look and see hungry enemies and kind of sort of, this is vaguely not quite the Hebrew, but kind of sort of go, because so much of the Psalms are set in the context of oppression and antagonism. It's not the kind of uh, victim versus enemy that we sometimes imagine from a position of strength. It's not a matter of the privileged who are able to punch down at their enemies because they are welcomed at this table, but the marginalized who are raised up, who are lifted up, who are given a place of honor that they did not have previously. And that place of honor means then looking at those who have oppressed you and being able to enjoy the place of honor all the more. We could imagine, for example, the slave sitting at a banquet uh, in the presence of his or her former enslaver. Hmm? And for the slave, There might be comfort in being able to say, I have been lifted up and the oppressor has been brought low. There is an anointing. This is another ancient custom that we don't do a whole lot. We don't tend to pour oil on our heads, but it is a way of evincing uh, uh, extravagance in care. It brings a good feeling, it brings a good smell, it is the way ancient people would care for their hair, Uh, and most ancient people did not have this kind of hair. Hmm? So the oils could be about that. Um, It is about feeling chosen. The word Messiah means uh, anointed one. It echoes then in the next image of extravagance, right? My cup overflows. I don't know about you, but as a kid, that always sounded messy to me. Just always sounded like somebody's gonna have to clean up after this, I don't know, you know, overflowing cups are not a good thing. I have had some cups overflow, and mom and dad weren't real happy about that. An overflowing cup. But it is this image of extravagant care, extravagant love. Please note, it is not the elite person's life overstuffed with things. It is not, as in my life and maybe in your life, my closet overflows, my garage overflows. Not what's being talked about here, right? It is about the marginalized person, or the place in our own lives, that place of emptiness that is then extravagantly filled, not with what we want, not with what we delude ourselves brings satisfaction, but with what we really need. Where is that place in your life? Not where you're fulfilling your wants, not where you're acquiring things, not where you're stuffing your closet or your garage or frankly, my mouth, but that place of real need that God can fill to overflowing. Because that's where God is seeking to lead you. I think we find that out when we work with Family Promise. Because we are dealing with people who have less than we do. And we are are seeing in that experience, in that exchange, what really matters. To be fed. To be cared for. To be sheltered. To be welcomed. Not through condescension. But through love. And so we affirm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Uh, Part of me, I have to admit, uh, responds to this. uh, Why why is it following me? Uh, Isn't this a shepherd who leads me? Haven't I been led so far? What's this business about following? Well, well, okay, one little Hebrew thing. The word is not really followed. The word is pursue. It is the intensive form of the verb to follow. Pursue. And we've just been talking about enemies, you know, enemies. We've just been talking about enemies, and we think enemies pursue us. We we are always looking over our shoulder for the enemy. We're always looking over our shoulder for the antagonist. We're always a little paranoid about who's going to be after us. What if it's God? What if goodness and mercy, chesed, some of you will recognize that word. What if goodness and mercy are the things that are pursuing us? that are after us, that are relentless on our behalf? I don't have to say what if, because I think you know in your own life, there has been some time in your life, I know there has been in my life, when grace has just changed, chased you down and blessed you even when you were going the wrong direction. Grace just pursued you and took hold of you and said, here's the blessing that you were running away from. I think you've probably had that experience. I know I have. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy will continue to take after me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. I know some of you are thinking, where'd my forever go? Peggy led us in a version from the hymnal It says forever. When I read this at uh, memorial services, I read forever. but I'm uh, oh, sorry, I'm doing Hebrew again. The Hebrew is length of days. It just re-echoes what was said in the first one. Uh, all the days of my life. It doesn't literally say forever. The blessings are this life, but they are blessings for both the journey and the destination. As the other Psalms say, God blesses, God knows our going out and our coming in. God knows our rising up and our lying down, the valleys of our lives, the mountaintops of our life, the good things in our life, the bad things of our life, of your life. God knows those things. God seeks to bless those things as you journey all your days towards the destination that God prepares and designs for you. And that is the place that God is seeking to lead you.